Okay, good evening and welcome to the latest episode of the Online Warriors podcast. We have a very special episode today. I am Illegal86 and I am as ever joined by Nerd Bomber and Tactic, my good friends. And a fourth new friend is in the studio, the virtual studio. We have James from Massive Monster Games here to talk to us about Cult of the Lamb, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago during Gamescom. James, it's great to have you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's great to be here. Excited to talk to you guys. Yeah, we were all very taken in by Cult of the Lamb when we saw the trailer at Gamescom, which was, I'm sure, super exciting for you guys or super exciting for us to see. So we'll dive into all of that. But before we dive into Cult of the Lamb, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got your start in game development and with Massive Monster? Just give us a bit of a backstory, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So... Yeah, my name's James, or some people know me as Jimp. Uh, I live in the UK, and yeah, I'm doing some of the art and most of the animation for Cult of the Lamb. And yeah, our studio is Massive Monster. Yeah, I've been making games for a little while now, sort of grew up making silly cartoons for like Newgrounds. Started out doing that and then realised we could kind of make games with Flash, and so just sort of started making Flash games for fun, and then realised that you could actually make money with it, and uh, kind of just kept doing it, and that's, yeah, sort of how I got started with it was just making silly little games with my friends and stuff and then eventually sort of it became a full-time thing I guess Uh, and some of the games did really well. I had no idea you Newgrounds brings me back I used to live there. Yeah (laughs) we all did yeah. You probably hear that a lot but that's so cool (laughs) in terms of like flash games I mean there are so many memories from like I don't want to age myself, but like early 2000s when there was kind of this heyday of Flash and they're still going on, of course. But like Mm. there was definitely this heyday that I really got caught up in. And to see that art style, to hear that to start for you and then see it blossom into what you're doing now with Massive Monster, the past few games you've done and now Cult of the Lamb. It's a really cool pathway. It was a really cool way to get started. I think it's quite quite a common pathway for a lot of people as well. There are quite a lot of, you know, obviously Edmund McMillan. He did Binding of Isaac. He, he started okay, yeah. Flash games and the Super Flash Brothers, who, who ended up making uh, Snipper Clips as well. Like they they kind of did that pathway. Uh, and there's there's loads of people that kind of got started. It was it was a really exciting creative time. And yeah, like it's weird how many people you speak to are like I know uh, Armor Games, I know Newgrounds, like Mini Clip. Yeah, it was it was good. I miss miss those days. Armor Games, that's another one that yeah, you just kind of you're activating my neural my neural pathways back to you <laughs> that time when. I was just, I was living for that. From from a game design perspective, is it difficult to make that transition from Flash games to like the full length console and desktop games? Like, are there design principles or anything like that that you're able to carry over? Like, obviously, I mean, there's some underpinnings no matter what type of game you're developing. But, you know, obviously Cult of the Lamb is a little bit more robust than anything we would get from a Flash game. Yeah, it's definitely, um, there's definitely sort of transferable skills. I guess it was a big Going from sort of these flash games, which were little tiny things that you'd play for 10 minutes to kill a bit of time, and they could be about anything and they could be silly, and then taking that, and then suddenly you've got to make a 10 hour game uh, that people are actually paying money for, is definitely a sort of big jump, and there's a lot of, been a lot of challenges in terms of, yeah, just meeting people's expectations with that. Yeah, I think as you say, like game design sort of will transfer across any platform, but, um, yeah, there's definitely, the, I think the biggest challenge is just the amount of content and and just the quality, I guess. Because with the Flash game stuff, it was kind of, you'd spend maybe two or three weeks making something, uh, kind of, and you'd have a dumb, weird idea, and you'd spend a few weeks making it, and then you'd make it, and then maybe it did well, maybe it didn't, and if it didn't, 
that's okay. It was only a few weeks, so maybe the next one will do well. Whereas this time, it's like with with console games, it's like instead of two or three weeks, it's two or three years. So if you spend two or three years on something that doesn't do well, that can destroy a company. Uh, so you've got to be a lot more careful with sort of the ideas that you decide to actually go forward with. But yeah, I think there's lots of transferable skills. I mean, I, I personally feel very lucky to have sort of cut my teeth with the Flash game stuff because, again, you could just spend a few weeks on something and we were making money doing that, whereas now I think there isn't so much of an outlet for people starting out to be working lots and doing it but also making money. It's kind of like you, you have to jump straight into making a big game. Um, so, and that, I think the Flash game thing is still there, but it's nowhere near as as popular and as big as it was back in the day. So you're one of the co-founders of Massive Monster. I'm always interested in origin stories. How did that mm -hmm. studio come together and what's your team like? Yeah, we, so we started out with the Flash game and we did that for eight, for, for quite some time and we, we all worked on a lot of games and then that kind of slowly got harder and harder to, to make a living doing. Um, mm -hmm. I think because, you know, people stopped... Families stopped having a home computer and they started getting iPads and iPhones and people started playing their casual games. Instead of going on Miniclip, they would go on, they'd play Angry Birds, you know, on their, on their iPhones right, and their right. iPads. So that kind of just sort of petered out until it got to the point where I was like, look, it's, it's, it's too risky to do this. And, and it kind of also felt like it was time to step things up. So we were like, okay, let's try and make a real game. <laughs> Not the Flash games aren't real games, but, you know, we decided that we wanted to kind right. of move things forward. Um, so, so me and Jay, who are his one of the other co-founder, we, we decided to start a company, Massive Monster, and yeah, make, make bigger games. And then um, he, Jay and Julian worked on a Flash game together called Super Adventure Pals, which they kind of decided to, they wanted to make a Steam version of, basically. Mm -hmm. so they started working on that, and uh, and then the kind of, yeah, the three of us just sort of came together and started working together more and more, and so we had we had this Massive Monster name, and um, all three of us come from the Flash game thing, and we all have a very similar kind of, design philosophy and we all want to make kind of cartoony but still kind of I don't know like juicy polished polished games and so so we just kind of started doing it and uh yeah the fir first game that we put out we did a few flash games and then like what well, which were like sequels to armor for armor games sequels to their ones and then we um put out the adventure pals was the first proper release that we did um which did really well and then we also did never give up um, which was a sort of uh, work for hire thing for Armour Games, which was kind of a, um, a Steam version of one of their successful Flash games. And so we put that out last year, or oh, maybe two years ago now. And yeah, and then we sort of started working on the Cult of the Lamb maybe two and a half years ago. And here we are, We're, and we finally announced it. But yeah, it's basically the kind of the very short story, I guess. Cool. You know, you mentioned, which makes perfect sense, you mentioned this kind of evolution of people not have, families not having a home computer anymore, and that was something that can trip people getting iPads, and you mentioned Angry Birds specifically. Hmm. Did you think about pivoting away from Flash games and into more Angry Birds-ish things? Because, you know, to me, Flash games is one category, what you're doing now is another category, and things like Angry Birds... I see it as a third, and maybe it's maybe it's not. But did you think about doing more app store stuff, or was that never really an option for you guys? Were you guys like, no, let's keep doing what we're doing, but just at larger scale? That definitely was an option, and it probably maybe actually was the more obvious transition. Um, and we have done some mobile stuff, but I think we very quickly, very quickly learned that you know, as the um, the free to play model kind of took over. And it'll, yeah. you kind of get forced down this pathway of if you're going to charge money for your game, people aren't going to buy it necessarily. So you have to go down this free-to-play route, which basically means you make a game, 
and you make it really fun and then you think of ways to make the game not fun and so people will pay pay your money to make it fun and so right. people all have these kind of different experiences and there are definitely like I think there are plenty of good mobile games out there but um yeah I think we just got very frustrated by that idea of the, the free-to-play model and just sort of having to force people to spend money and kind of intentionally making the game suck because you want them to get their wallets out kind of thing whereas with flash games even then it was just like everyone's having the same experience you just want to make something that's as fun and addicting as possible right and right uh, so it seemed a lot more appealing to us and we all grew up playing console games so like the dream was to get a game on you know a nintendo console really that's that was the ultimate kind of dream and the melbourne game was thing was good and we saw people making money with it but also i think it very quickly became dominated by these huge companies that um yeah put huge amounts of time and you know they have people that just figuring out the psychology of how to maximize profits and all that and it just very quickly seemed like kind of a bit iffy and not kind of totally what we wanted to do and then yeah the idea of just sort of making something like a proper game on console just seemed a lot more appealing to us and there's something as well i just don't like not having buttons the the tactile thing about there are some great mobile games. Like I love like Alto's Adventure. I don't know if you played that one. Like there are some really lovely simple simple games that work perfectly well for the for the format, but the platform. Sorry, but I think yeah. Once we kind of got our eyes set on the console thing, we were like, uh, this is what we want to do. And and I'm and I'm very glad that we uh we went down that path because uh, mobile games is just it's so hard to break through. And I I share as a user and not a developer. I mean I share your frustration. It can be this. I don't think I've ever once paid for a mobile game. Um, <laughs> but like you said, what the model there is, is you download it and you play it and you're like, they give you just long enough of like, hey, this is pretty fun. And this is something that I could sink some time into for better, or for worse. And then they're like, oh, well, in order to do that, it'll be a lot easier if you paid us five bucks now yeah. for some kind of add-on thing like you said there's a psychology to it that is interesting but it's like it's designed kind of to leech the joy you did mention we you talked about you know uh, or we have talked about the big reveal at gamescom so yeah i mean mm. first of all congratulations on the great premiere um Thank it got you. a lot of good buzz from the gaming community what was it like getting such an overwhelmingly positive response i mean it sounds like you've had a couple of successes in the past but what was it like with this response that I would say was overwhelmingly positive and there's a lot of excitement around this thing that you said, you know, you've been working on. It's a huge investment of your time, right? So it's got to be right there, a huge payoff before it even comes out to see that people are responding to what you've done. Yeah, it's, it's been it's been absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, overwhelmingly so in some ways. I think what, yeah, what we did a little bit differently with this one was before with our previous games, we kind of just sort of, drip fed things just sort of start tweeting about it and showing gifts and then like for adventure pals we did like a kickstarter that had like a bit of a gameplay trailer and then we sort of talking about it really early showing it at conventions and stuff whereas this one we've been like not not spoken about it and haven't mentioned it for two and a half years so we've been working on it all this time and just completely right. kept quiet about it and then you know suddenly dropped this big trailer so it was definitely it was very very nerve-wracking I think we kind of had had an idea that people would like it. So when we pitched the game back to like publishers, uh, like about a year and a half ago now, we had a really positive response, and that was that was really good to see. And so I think we kind of had an idea that people would like it, but um, yeah, definitely was not expecting it to be quite as positive as it is. So it's been been amazing, and just like seeing so quickly 
the like a big community kind of build up around it and like every day there's people posting fan art and stuff seem to have got a very uh strong response from the furry community as well which has been interesting <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah it's been amazing just seeing seeing so many people like instantly um respond so well and just yeah seeing the twitter twitter comments come in and stuff it's been yeah it's, it's amazing and now it's kind of like we've been pushing ourselves really hard to make this thing as good as possible and it's like it's kind of been pretty grueling but yeah seeing the, seeing the response has definitely been like some uh, giving us some fuel to finish the thing and uh, right but it does feel like the pre- the pressure's on now <laughs> so we've got to meet these expectations you know what well, is you know i've never thought about it that way but you know especially for s- smaller devs i mean that trailer like you said not saying anything about it until that point you're kind of pushing all your chips on onto the table in that at that specific point where the trailer itself, I have to imagine you guys probably, you know, were thinking about and developing that trailer for a while because it was so critically important. It was, we need to put our best foot forward in two minutes and show exactly what this is going to be and also kind of tease things where you don't, you know, give away everything. And there's, there's an art to that in itself that probably took a few iterations, I would imagine. So yeah, definitely. We (laughs) sort of go through the trailer literally frame by frame, so, oh, there's something slightly clipping through here. So, like, you know, some of these shots where there's just a one-second shot of the lamb fighting an enemy, and I just was sort of sat there for an hour and a half trying to get the exact perfect <laughs> cut of that. Like, and then, you know, putting it in the trailer, and then the guys are saying, oh, there's something slightly wrong, and this animation is playing at the same time as this, or just the smallest possible thing. So we were very, very, um, yeah, just trying to make it as good as possible. And we're very lucky to work with um, Devolver as well, who have a really amazing trailer editor, Kirk, who's who's really, really good at putting that together. Uh, and also Half Giant and Candy Burger, who did the like animated sort of the first half of the trailer, did an amazing job as well, um, and in not a huge amount of time. So we're we were so happy when when they came back with with that animation that they did because they um they smashed out the part with that. So how did your team even come up with the idea for Cult of the Lamb? It's been a very, very sort of long, drawn-out, iterative process. Um, I think probably three years ago, me and Jay were talking about what we wanted the next game to be. And I think maybe the very first kind of kernel of the idea was kind of... I was playing Stardew Valley, and um, I don't know if you guys have played it, but... You, oh, yeah. There's just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so obviously it's very much focused on the on the um, the farming side of it and the kind of building up your farm. Uh, but then there's that part where you go into the mines and then there is a little bit of combat and you're sort of fighting the slimes and then you're coming back and you're getting different rocks and different stones and resources. And it's quite a small part of the game, but also it's quite fun. So I think I was like, I really wanted to take kind of what Stardew Valley does, but put as much focus on the, the dungeon, that going down that mine and doing the fighting the enemies and put as much of focus on that as, as the kind of the base building farming side of it. Mm-hmm. And so it's more of a 50-50 split rather than a, um, you know, it have that as a little mini mini side game. And then I think we kind of realised if, if the dungeon crawling bit was like a roguelike and then, because like a lot of these roguelike games like like Binding of Isaac and Enter the Gungeon, you kind of, you go in and then you once you die you lose everything and there's not really much of a, a meta game. Like when you die you're not really kind of making a long term progress. I think Enter the Gungeon has a little bit of that where you get the um, the tokens that you unlock new weapons with um, but we kind of wanted more and, and so that kind of idea of coming back and then building up your base and having a bit of a sort of colony simulator side to it 
that that you're constantly working towards as you kind of um, make progress and collect things in the dungeon. So that was kind of the the very sort of start of it. And then we went f- like from for the aesthetic side, we went through a lot of different ideas. Um, I think ev- originally you were kind of like these girl scouts, and you were growing weapons, and you. But you weren't even a lamb weapon. originally. Oh no, no, that's. That came like way later. Like, yeah. So there's one idea where you're kind of growing weapons and planting weapons and tending to them, and then the weapons would sprout and they kind of would be these characters. And that was kind of cool. But then I don't know. We changed it to like you had this tribe on top of a floating beast, and you were kind of jumping off the beast and kind of skydiving down into this dangerous thing, and then coming back up and bringing new tribe members. And then I think you were a, a god who kind of ate ate his own followers, and then. And then we kind of had this, at one point it was like a hell simulator game where you kind of had all these little minions and you were creating your own hell. And then I think, yeah, we just kept iterating and none none of it was stuck. And I think Julian kind of came up with the idea of cults. And we were kind of like, what if you kind of, you're you're starting your own cult? And then he he drew this, um, this lamb character. The lamb was really cool because obviously it has the kind of connotation, the, the religious connotations, you know, the sacrificial lamb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, and we, he, uh, he, drew, he drew that and we kind of spent a lot of time iterating that character. And then I think as soon as we kind of realised it's, it's a game where you start your own cult. Uh, it, and then the game kind of started to write itself and we knew we wanted this kind of dungeon crawling side and then the, the base building side and then it just kind of all... And then ever since then, we were kind of, yeah, just iterating. And then kind of have this philosophy at Massive Monster to follow the fun and just kind of do, rather than trying to plan things too much on paper, just sort of keep playing the game, keep iterating, keep changing things. If something isn't fun, take it out. And then sometimes random little things that you just that accidentally happen turn out to be the most fun thing. Like a lot of people think it's a roguelike. It's not really a roguelike. It originally was, but then we kind of realised that People just care about their little, um, the animals, more than they really care about sort of getting as far as they can in the dungeon. So the kind of design is sort of very, very much changed towards little bite-sized adventures. And you are, you are going out and exploring this world, but you're also kind of constantly in the back of your mind, wanting to get back to animals and look after them and bring them. So it kind of didn't make sense to be trying to spend as long as you can, getting as deep as you can in the dungeon, where in the back of your mind you're like, I need to feed my uh, feed my followers and stuff. So, so yeah, that kind of meant the game swerved a little bit, and it was sort of less a. It's definitely still very much a dungeon crawler, and there's a big focus on the combat, but it's less of a roguelike than I think a lot of people think it is. Yeah, that's awesome that you uh, kind of honed into that sweet spot of of what to me looks like a perfect game, and then also the fact that you switched to the animals, like you said before, you wouldn't have the furry community following you. So that's <laughs> great. <laughs> <laughs> it's just way more interesting to be honest like you know if they were all kind of humans I mean that you can have different humans and you know different sizes and colors and shapes but it's just cool finding like, all the different animals and like you can do whatever you want with them and it's just I don't know there's something nice about like it's fantastic I like like drawing kind of anim- anthropomorphic animals they're always cool yeah and it just makes it a bit more interesting visually I think it's such an interesting unique and singular idea you know you you mentioned you know this idea of it's a cult, but it's, you know, the sacrificial lamb thing. I think it just comes together to make something that feels super, super cohesive and is a really great original idea. I'm, I'm, I have to admit, I'm very surprised. I don't know how often it happens one way or the other, but to hear that the gameplay was, was first, the first piece of development before the story 
it's just it's surprising me to hear that because the story itself seems so much like a potential driver to it mm-hmm. and that's that's really cool and it's a testament to your development and this idea that you mentioned of following the fun where the gameplay comes first it's certainly the way it should be done i would think but it's a testament to the, the art direction and the development of of the premise itself where it feels like that came first and the gameplay elements came after yeah i mean I'm, i must admit uh, we're kind of uh next time we're not going to do it that way because it has been such a painful process trying to trying to f- sort of having that vague idea of what we wanted to make and then fitting an aesthetic and a, and a sort of theme around that and it I, yeah it has all fallen in place and I think we're very happy with where we landed but it's been so as I was saying all those different ideas before and they all had art and they all had different and it's just the amount of work that we put into this and then thrown away is probably more than the actual work that's in the game just right so if we had just sort of at the start been like, oh, let's make a game about where you start your own cult and you play as a lamb, it would have been so much easier. Um, but, you know, that's the process and uh, sometimes you, you take a long way around. But yeah, ultimately we're very, very happy with where, where it's landed. But it's been a long old road. <laughs> so obviously we just talked about how, you know, there's dungeon crawling, there's settlement management, base building. If you could give us like a quick one minute overview of what a gameplay cycle would look like as part of yep. the game story, how would you like to still it down? Like what as the the titular lamb in this game do you do in a gameplay session? Okay, so you you have this you have your base and you you kind of go out and there's a teleporter and you're like, right, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna fight some enemies, right? I'm gonna go and explore the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you go on the teleporter and then you and you choose a dungeon. So there's like so there's a number of different dungeons. So you start the game and you've only got the first first one unlocked. So you're, you're going to that dungeon and you're like, right, so you're going through and then it's kind of like the, you know, dungeon crawling, how you'd like roguelike your games. You're going through and there's the different rooms and then enemies are attacking you and you fight off the enemies and then you're kind of getting rewards. And then you get to like a mini boss room and you fight a mini boss and you kill him and then you can actually convert the bosses into followers oh that's awesome all the monsters you fight you can kind of can join the cult uh and then you kind of there's like a little uh sort of dungeon map so after you kind of you you clear one floor you can be like okay i even want to go down this path because there's some trees down there and i can chop down the trees because i need trees to build some houses that my followers need or i can go down this path and there's a, a a room where i can rescue a follower from sacrifice you kind of make a decision based on what you need uh and then you kind of you do that and then you maybe rescue a follower and you kind of, he's going to be sacrificed on an altar or something. So you fight off the enemies and you rescue the follower. And then you basically, a number of different sort of floors you go through and then you kind of get to the end of the dungeon. You're like, right, time to go back to base. So you go back to the base and then there will be the followers that you've kind of rescued will be waiting to be indoctrinated. So you kind of indoctrinate them to the cult. You can customize them. So the, the monsters that you kind of, the mini bosses that you've kind of, uh, converted into followers you can you can keep them as the, the monsters or you can decide to sort of change their forms into different animals and you kind of un- unlock different animal forms and you can sort of change their colors and uh, customize them and name them and then so you indoctrinate them and then they'll be part of your cult and then you can basically order your followers around so they can build build the buildings for you they can um, do various things and then they'll pray at the central lamb shrine and they will generate devotion for you and that's kind of the the driving thing uh, that you use to unlock new things in the game and so your followers are kind of doing what what they're told what you tell them to and they're generating devotion for you and they all have needs as well so they need to be fed they need places to sleep 
and they'll kind of come up to you if they're not being fed and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm hungry, give me some food. So you can, you know, build a cooking fire, cook some food for them and feed them and, yeah, build different buildings that let you kind of do different things and fulfill their needs. And you can build a temple and you can go into your temple and give your daily sermon. And so you give a sermon and the different decisions that you make in your sermon and what you choose to teach your followers will kind of inform your cult doctrine and that will also unlock different abilities as well and different things so based on the decisions and the, the way that you decide that you want to preach to your followers you, you kind of have different paths that you can take with that so, so I guess an example would be one of the decisions is whether you want to unlock uh, an intimidate uh, action or a, an inspire action and you know if you if you choose the intimidate one you can kind of scare your followers into being more faithful Whereas if you, you choose the inspire one, you kind of uh, you can choose to like dance with them, and they'll kind of you know react react positively to you. So there's there's kind of um, a bit of choice in that in the doctrine as well. And then you can also do different rituals in the temple as well, which kind of you can sacrifice them, like you saw at the end of the trailer, that kind of tentacle sacrifice, uh, or you can kind of draw power from your followers to become more um, more powerful in the dungeon as well. And then you kind of need some more resources, so it's time to head out back to the dungeon. That's the full loop. But as, as you're going into the dungeon as well, you'll also meet new characters and they'll kind of unlock new locations that you can kind of go and explore. And then there is sort of an ongoing narrative as well and different characters that you'll meet. And there is, there is narrative elements as well going on. So yeah, it's all kind of loads of things. But the, the basic, basic loop is kind of, yeah, go out into the dungeon, find resources, find new followers, bring them back. And then, yeah, bring them back to the base and then look after them at the base. It sounds like you've gotten a lot of mileage out of <laughs> the cult idea, right? Where <laughs> there's rituals, there's sermons, anything you could associate with. It's how any good cult should be run, right? It's just yeah. the idea is getting followers in line and the idea of devotion being the quantifiable metric by which you unlock new things is mm. a very natural byproduct of that. So it sounds, yeah, it sounds super cool. Is there a Kool-Aid option? <laughs> we um there was at the moment i'm not sure if that's it there was like a, a kind of chalice thing that you could build but it kind of wasn't really working so i'm not entirely sure if that's going to make it in the game we also have like so many different things at the moment that we're like not 100 percent sure if they're still going to make it yet we've got lots to do in the time that we've got so we're kind of we'll see hopefully yeah i mean we're also planning lots to like support the game a lot after launch as well so there will be lots of sort of free updates uh, and the plan is to kind of expand after launch and keep keep growing the game kind of like like Binding of Isaac and Enter the Gungeon and all their ga- all those games have there definitely a lot sort of there's a lot more to them now uh, like now than there was at launch so we're, we're definitely planning on so maybe the maybe the the chalice of vitality we called it <laughs> but I'm not entirely sure if that'll be in at launch or not very um, cool I was gonna I was gonna ask about DLC yeah I mean it, it sounds like there's a wealth of potential content that you can continue building on and, and do so in a way that's responsive to maybe what, what the fans are telling you, uh, you know, in various ways. Yeah. It's a very yeah. deep idea, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely want to kind of... So more so with this game than any other is um, we would love for the community to help kind of steer steer it sort of post-launch and sort of... I'm sure people will enjoy certain parts of the game more than maybe we realised. So we definitely kind of... Very much looking forward to hearing what feedback people have and what they would like to see more of. Um, and yeah, we do really want to. It will all hopefully be free, like free content as well. So it's kind of we want everyone to. I don't really like the idea of sort of segmenting content off to people that want to pay more. I think I really like the idea of the the value of the product 
product sounds like a horrible word. The value of the game uh, to sort of increase as as we as we spend more and more time sort of adding content and stuff. And uh, well, and because it's a great way to build build the player base, right? You know, as mm-hmm. you add more and more to it, more people will hear about it and you know buy the base game, and then things can kind of kind of go from there. So, so, so you mentioned the plan for after release, which is you know it's great to hear. Of course, things like free updates. Every fan of of any game is going to want to hear that. Um, <laughs> leading up to release, you know, I'm I'm sure, especially because it sounds like you currently have a lot of balls in the air. You know, I'm not sure how much you can tell us about when and where. Maybe more so where uh, you can tell us when, where we can expect to play it. But as far as when, I, I think what we've been told is early 2022. But correct me if I'm wrong. What's the re- release plan? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, in terms of um, platforms, like we, I literally actually don't know yet. Like we're sort of in in the um, in the process of figuring out exactly where it's going to come to first, and that's really really all I can say at this stage. I mean, it definitely it will definitely be on PC, and it will definitely be on at least one, probably one console at launch. But um, yeah, we're still still figuring that out. And yeah, in terms of um, when, yeah, early early twenty twenty two is. It's kind of where it's penciled in at the moment, but um, you know how <laughs> you know how things are. Like, you know, yeah, can't yeah. really, I, yeah, can't really say more than that. But um, yeah, we're we're we got lots to do, but we're very excited to to get it out there. And um, fingers crossed, we have we hit the the date that we have penciled in. Well, we are super stoked to play it whenever it does come out. Cult of the Lamb looks awesome. It's definitely right up my alley. Like you said, all of the different elements that you've added to that kind of traditional dungeon crawler and base building gameplay loop just sounds like a lot of replayability and things to do to keep me coming back so i'm really excited that said do you guys have anything in the hopper even after cult of the land do you have any ideas that you're working on like what can we expect next from massive monster after cult of the lamb comes out not really to be honest we've been so <laughs> uh yeah no we've, we're kind of um we have some very very vague ideas of potential stuff we want to do like Still, really, just so tunnel visioned on this one at the moment. <laughs> but we definitely, you know, we want to keep doing things. We want to probably do something different, but then also, like, we do want to um, keep building this. And we're definitely much seeing it, the launch game as like the kind of origin story almost of the lamb, and then hopefully really expand that out over the next two, three, however many years. But yeah, there will there will be new games as well. I'm sure. I mean, we're only a very small studio, so yeah, we can only do so much at once. But um, I'm sure we'll, we'll figure it out. Well, definitely looking forward to see how the story of the lamb progresses over time. Mm, me too. <laughs> so we've asked all of our guests on the show, sort of assembling our own podcast Avengers. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh my goodness. So probably like right now, I have so much work to do and so little time. I'd just love to be able to just pause time or slow time down and just be able to just, you know, make this game as good as possible. I and mean, that's such like a... That's such a cop-out question. It's like, oh, I just pause time and work. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, being able to pause time would be pretty cool because you could just, like, skip cues and stuff as well. Time manipulation yeah. is by far the best superpower. Whenever people pick fly, I always go, you can leverage other powers to make you fly. So, good choice. <laughs> Thank you. I would like to be able to fly as well. That'd be cool, to be fair. But yeah, time. T- time manipulation. Also, if I may, it's a great... Your answer is a great way to, again, point back to the game. Basically just say, I want to pause time so I can work more on this game. <laughs> yeah. a, it's a definite display of your dedication to what you do that you could have any superpower in the world. And you're like, I want to work more. <laughs> That's like <laughs> the, basic, the basis of the thought process for you. Um, 
So, so James, we thank you so much for being here and for talking to us for a while. Cult of the Lamb is coming in early 2022 to PC and at least one console. So mm-hmm. be on the lookout for that. Go watch the trailer if you haven't already. It's an amazing trailer. James, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure having you here. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. It's been really good. So right now we are going to uh, take a short break and we'll come back to jump into some other news and what we have been up to. Today's episode is presented by Misen. Virtually every chef agrees that a sharp, well-balanced chef's knife is the essential workhorse for any kitchen. A great knife should feel good in your hand, stay sharp, and hold up over time to the rigors of your kitchen. Simple, right? But behind those deceptively simple concepts are centuries of tradition, technology, design, and craft. Misen spent four years developing the perfect knife because every little detail matters. Misen went through 37 different prototypes until they knew they had the perfect knife. The final result? A knife that's a pleasure to hold, sharp enough to plow through the toughest foods, and a blade that stays sharper longer. The best part is by partnering closely with their factories and selling directly online, Misen is able to offer incredible cookware at wholesale pricing. Go to the link in our show notes to get your Misen knife today. Misen, the perfect knife at an unreal price. Hi everyone, it's Nesgrax Skarsbrush, the dragonborn wizard who got married to a ghost man. Do you like audiobooks? Do you like fantasy? Do you like closure? Then you'll love Fire-Breathing Kittens, a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition podcast. There's mystery, action, comedy, and friendship. And in my case, heartbreaking romance with a ghost man. Every episode is a one-shot with a complete plot and satisfying conclusion. So join us on our D&D quests and search for Fire-Breathing Kittens podcast for fantasy, action, mystery, and friendship. All right, welcome back. We want to thank James again for that great interview. And we want to, of course, uh, shout out our Patreon producers. We usually do that at the top of the episode before the ad break, but we're doing things a little bit different this week, keeping you on your toes, online warriors. We want to shout out our fantastic Patreon producer, Mr. Stephen Keller. Stephen, take a bow. You've been supporting the show for a while now. You've had some guest spots on the show. As I like to mention, you met Shania Twain one time, or like you were on stage with her, and it was amazing. Steven is a producer on the show, and as a result, I get to mention his Shania Twain encounter every week. But he also gets the occasional guest spot on the show, and he, of course, gets input into our weekly game segment, as well as the shout-out, and, of course, access to our monthly secret segments and vlogs. The second tier of support, which is the Squire tier, gets you access to the monthly secret segment and vlog, and the page gets you access to the monthly secret segment. For more of the details on all of those levels of support, you can head over to patreon.com slash onlinewarriorspodcast. Get the details there. Thanks again to Steven. And now this one, we would usually go into an ad break, but we're not going to, I'm not going to send you off to listen to another ad. We're instead going to move into the news this week. We got two big meaty topics for you this week. One movie, one game. Of course, the game topic being PlayStation Showcase that took place last week. And guys, there's a lot to dive into here. We are going to try and hit just the high points. This was a pretty beefy showcase, but there were four or five kind of earth shattering reveals uh, anyone who's listened to the podcast for more than a few minutes or just a single episode knows that we all played spider-man we all loved it i have not played miles morales i have to acknowledge that i've been holding out for the ps5 era of my gaming life to do that 
uh, you two both have played Miles Morales, and I, I think both were, you know, big fans of it. Spider-Man 2, we got a trailer for this that, among other things, teased involvement of both Peter Parker and Miles Morales and Venom. So, okay, let's talk about this. Is this co-op? I, I guess is my main question. Are they teasing co-op, or am I misunderstanding what this looks like? It definitely looks like it. I mean, so part of this trailer, you know, we were kind of introduced to this scene where Peter Parker and Miles Morales are kind of working together to take down bad guys. And that's when kind of Venom crawls out of a dark alleyway, you know. And to me, that does scream some kind of like co-op. But the other thing that I could see, which could be fun as well, if they don't want to go down the co-op route, is potentially being able to switch between the two characters, The thing that's kind of interesting to me, though, is that, you know, they kind of said back in the day, I I might be talking on my butt here, but I I feel like I remember them saying that the mainline Spider-Man games were going to follow Peter Parker and that Miles Morales would kind of like jump in here and there. But for the most part, then he'd be like the offshoot games. I might be making that up, but I feel like that's something that I heard. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, does Miles Morales actually have a big role in this game? Does he just show up here and there? Is he somebody, you know, kind of like we saw in the original Spider-Man game where like you had those scenes where you played as Mary Jane, you know, and you did some like stealthy things. Is that what we're going to get here where it's not necessarily co-op, but in different portions of the game, you play as different Spider-Men. That I think would make a little bit more sense just because, you know, Spider-Man feels so much like a single player story to me. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's going to be co-op at all. I think what we're going to end up having is the occasional switch characters throughout various plot points in the story. And then with regards to if they're both in a fight, it's going to be sort of quick time events. But other than that, I don't really see any kind of co-op because I think ultimately that could take away from the story when you have this weird AI Spider-Man that's just kind of punching things that you don't want him to punch and vice versa. Right. And I don't really want to bother with that. I just want to kind of immerse myself in the story and not have a friend playing with me, if that makes sense, as the person who's in love with Couch Co-op. I'm just imagining you're Peter Parker and you're fighting like a whole circle of guys and you look over and AI Miles Morales is just like punching a brick wall like <laughs> 10, 10 feet away from you like barely on screen yeah I, I you know as you raise these points you know i, I think for me co-op I, I just have such a fuzzy warm spot for co-op and i know tactic you in particular do as well i i want that to be the case but at the same time the more i think about it the less that the gameplay experience that i so loved in spider-man can support co-op and even just from a graphical perspective i don't need split screen with everything that's going on in spider-man i don't know if it can support that i think it's interesting what you what you say about you know we play as mary jane in the first spider-man i will say i don't know of course having not played it i don't know much about miles morales i've always kind of had the impression whether correct or incorrect that that was kind of in the same place as uncharted the lost legacy which i just played which is basically it's it's too big to be a dlc but it's not much bigger than that that's t- that was my experience with Lost Legacy. I don't know if, if either of you can speak to... Yeah, how long was the Lost Legacy? I can kind of give like you like... eight hours. Yeah, like eight hours. I think Miles Morales was in that like eight to ten hours. And I, I remember the original Spider-Man, and this you can help me verify. Way longer. It was way longer than that, yeah. I don't... I mean, I think there's just... There's so much more 
depth to both Uncharted 4 and the first Spider-Man that I don't, in as much as when I get a PS5, I'm going to play Miles Morales as soon as I can. I just, I don't see it as being, I mean, even in the way it was marketed I and how soon it came out after the first Spider-Man, I remember thinking, okay, this isn't the next big thing for them. This is, I don't want to call it a stopgap because it's, it's more than that. But well, it felt like a way to introduce more characters to the story and expand the world. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and you know, th- this trailer, I think, and the reason I jump immediately to co-op, and I think a lot of people in the in the comments were jumping immediately to co-op, was it does seem like such a punch for punch, the two of them working together, and Miles Morales is as central in it as Peter Parker is. But I don't know if that may just be a tactic on the part of the Spider-Man developers they want to make sure they draw in people who played both games. And, you know, I think the slice of that pie chart of people who just played Miles Morales is probably super small, but nonetheless, maybe that was their angle is saying, okay, you already know these two characters. You like both of these characters. They're both here. Maybe they leaned into Miles Morales a little bit too hard because it just, it got me thinking, okay, you're going to play them both exactly equally. And maybe you will, maybe it'll be a switch that's a little bit more so than, the Mary Jane switch. I think it has to be sort of an equal play on both simply because the timeline at which this whole story arc is occurring. So keep in mind, Spider-Man has had his powers for a while now. He don't don't before you go on. I have not played Miles Morales yet. So if you're about this to spoil story for Miles one. Morales, right? He's well, had I his, po- didn't know where he's you had his powers for a while now. He's put away many bad guys. That was how the, the whole story arc behind that one. Yeah, Peter Parker. So, Right. Theoretically, he's already had his encounter with Venom. He's already dealt with the symbiote suit. So the only thing that's missing with regards to this reveal of Venom being the big bad is how Miles Morales was impacted by that interaction. Right. right. That's a good point. Because, yeah, I'm, you know, it's been a while since I should replay Spider-Man. He has basically put everybody away on the reef, right? Because that's what they call it, right? The prison that they're all on. Or is that Rikers Island? I don't. I never remember with Spider Man. The big super prison. I think yeah, when the game starts, they're all there remember. and they get they get broken out. I think is how it works. The raft. I just called it the reef. Comic book fans rolling in their graves everywhere at this point. It's the raft, right? It's the prison from Avengers. It's Civil War when when uh, Tony Stark goes there. Anyways, yeah, Spider Man clearly more established, and like you said, he probably when he sees Venom, he's like this guy again. Whereas Miles Morales is like, what the heck? Either way, it looks like an amazing game. And that that is Insomniac, right? I'm not crazy. Or is that now? No, yeah, that's Insomniac. Insomniac is working at a hell of a pace, I have to say. Right. With all of the games. Which is where I'm going next. Last year, they pumped out. Obviously, we got Miles Morales. We also got Ratchet and Clank. I mean, there's more games that we're going to talk about now. And it makes perfect sense that Sony and Marvel and I guess whoever is responsible for these sorts of things, after they saw the success of Spider-Man, because it's like one of the best-selling games ever now they probably went to insomniac and said okay not only do we need more of that but we need here is our list of heroes that you can make a game about take your pick as i imagine what probably happened here and insomniac i think very wisely picked wolverine and i have this was like a one minute sizzle reel it was just basically a cinematic you're looking at a destroyed bar a bunch of either knocked out guys or just straight up dead guys and uh, we get the, 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 you know, the claw reveal at the end because one of the guys stirs and Wolverine's just sitting at the bar and then the claws come out. And that's that's all you see. But it's enough for me to be in a take my money position with this. I, again, the, the, the pedigree is, is 
kind of infallible at this point. Right. I feel like there are a couple of studios, a handful of studios. And I mean, I know now Arcane is among them for me, but Insomniac is one where, you know, I see a trailer. It doesn't even matter what character it is, if it's yeah. an existing character or not. I'm just like, I'm going to I'm going to play that. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, like, they could have literally trotted out Howard the Duck, but put Insomniac in front of it. And I would have been like, sign me up. This looks great. Well, it's it's like Naughty Dog is to me, right? It's the same exact thing where if Naughty Dog comes out with a game, I am going to buy it. It's, it's just a matter of when. And like, you know, another one that was mentioned kind of sidetrack here, but they are again remastering all of the Uncharted games. When I get a PS5, I, I, that's not an instant buy for me, but at some point I'm sure I will buy that because it's just, I love Naughty Dog and you know uncharted 4 was already an insane graphical feat but on the ps5 it's going to look even better but going back to insomniac and wolverine you know i have never actually played a wolverine game have there been wolverine games besides like him showing up in various fighting games right like he's in midnight suns right we just talked about that trailer when it was out at gamescom but that's a little bit different has there been a standalone wolverine game you know i've never played one to my knowledge there isn't but at the same time, to me, thinking about you need to pick a comic book character to to helm a game and be a video game character. Wolverine, you know, he's I don't want to say he's bulletproof because he's not, but like he's a he's a bullet sponge. Well, that's a that's a great way to be if you're a video game character. Like it's so in the same vein of what makes Spider-Man such a great character, Wolverine's a great character to have a story around because. When you introduce his healing factor, you get all of the other characters that were spun off of Wolverine. You get Deadpool, right. Weapon X. Um, you get... I'll eat my shoe if Deadpool is not a factor in this game somehow. Anyway, There's you no get, way he's get, not going to be involved. Like I said, you get Deadpool, who's got a huge fan following. You get Old Man Logan, which is a great story saga, which can then kind of go into some of their interactions with the Hulk, which is, again a great story saga. There's just, right. the possibilities are endless with regards to Wolverine's trajectory. Right. And, and and we've seen in the movies too, just how tortured a backstory he has. And there's, just, I mean, there's just so much IP to be drawn on here. It, again, in the same sort of vein as Spider-Man is where it's kind of a no brainer. Right. And it's a game going back to the bullet sponge thing. Like, Nothing pulls me out of the video game more than, you know, I'm going to talk later about I just finished Call of Duty World War II, which was great for what it, for to be clear. But like every time I'm playing a Call of Duty, I'm there's at least one point where I'm like, you know what? This is not how war works. <laughs> like if you if you get shot, you get shot and that's the ball game. Like there's no like, oh, I'm getting hit by bullets. I have to like get undercover. No, you get you get hit by a bullet and you know that's that's the ball game but yeah every time i'm playing a call of duty that just like i said it, it pulls me out of it whereas with wolverine with this healing factor i'm so much more willing to take a bullet and be like it's fine and like i, I think there's something to be said about that like and maybe i'm too serious about how i play video games and like too focused on what's real and what's not but i just think he's such an ideal character for this and I really look forward to seeing where this goes. Super, super excited. Nerd Bomber, day one buy for you, I would assume. Yeah, like I said, anything Insomniac. And I don't, like, I feel like I always talk about how I'm pre-ordering games, but I really don't pre-order that many. I think it's like two or three a year that I pick and I'm like, this looks awesome. Right. I'm going to do it. And this is going to be one of those. I mean, 
that and Spider-Man 2, if they both come out in the same year, I'm going to probably be giving Insomniac a lot of my money. So I don't think I've never had the impression that you pre-order a lot of games of the year, but every time there is a Target two for one sale, I'm literally like, okay, I wonder what three games Technic <laughs> are buying because I feel like you guys hit that up a lot and not without reason because it's a pretty sick deal. See, I've but gotten in a, a different type of loop. So Best Buy has started doing this thing, I think, to compete with Amazon because Amazon would always knock off $10 off your pre-order. And Best Buy will give, if you pre-order, not every game, but certain games, they'll give you like a 10 or $15 gift card for more Best Buy purchases, along with like a Steelbook or like a Funko figure or something like that. So Deathloop, which comes out the day after recording this episode, I pre-ordered it, got a $15 gift card, and the Steelbook is also coming. But now I'm like, now I can apply that towards another game, get right, another $15 and right. just get stuck in this infinite loop of pre-ordering which of well of joy is what i yeah i think you mean to say yeah a, a pre-order for me you know m- moving along to what i think was this uh, uh, i'm going in order of what i think were the biggest announcements with the exception of god of war which i assume was an enormous announcement but i don't know enough about god of war god of I'm, war is I'm a sorry. huge announcement i am sorry god of war fans but like i just i don't feel qualified to a be excited but b even know what's going on it looks beautiful i don't know like (laughs) we should we should talk about that before i I was going to go to knights of the old republic but let's stick a pin in that and go back to god of war because i think this was actually what like this was their leadoff hitter and it's been so talked about for a while it's it's officially called god of war ragnarok which no release date yet have you guys played any of the god of war games because I I missed the boat. I think it's I think it's just not my I think th- I think I couldn't get into the God of God of War for the same reasons or similar reasons that I couldn't get into Horizon Zero Dawn, which I know those are two totally different games, but there is a ambiance that I do not respond to. So those who know me know that I peter out with video games and what I mostly enjoy on literally anything is backstories, be it comics, games, what have you. I love a good backstory. So while I haven't played them all through, I've kept up with the lore just for funsies. And this game is bringing to life more than just an annoying son. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's pointing to the fact that his son is Loki and, and that he wants to learn well, more. It's kind of a spoiler, but. It was in the trailer. Yeah, it was in the trailer. I th- spoiler if you haven't played the first game a little bit, but it's also been out for years. Sorry, illegal. <laughs> I, th- I think I think if it's in the trailer, well, first of all, I'm not bothered. And second of all, I think if it's in the trailer, it's fair game. Yeah, that so it, it points no to that his son's Loki and that he wants to find himself and that it sort of shows you Thor's hammer and there's been little um, reveals of what Thor looks. He's a chonky boy. So that's real exciting. And so we'll get to see all of the Norse mythology behind Ragnarok. And I think that's really, really exciting. It's just a, it's a whole new sect of characters. We're bringing more usefulness to his son, which is cool. And uh, I think it's going to be a good time. See, I think illegal that you would... So the early God of War games were very different from this new iteration of God of War. I think this reboot kind of first came out in, what, 2018 or something like that? I yeah, might be off on that. 
Um, the original God of Wars were not really that story driven. You know, they weren't super character heavy, like very vaguely, but it was more just about the action and ridiculous killing and stuff like that. And now this new resurrection of the God of War franchise has really put a lot of emphasis on storytelling. And that was why the original God of War from 2018 sold so well was because, you know, there, it was another masterclass in writing. And one of the things that the presenters throughout this PlayStation showcase kept saying was, you know, as a studio, one of our like mantras is focus on the storytelling, tell great stories. And they, they kind of harped on that over and over. And God of War is it a really great through. example of that. Yeah. And so I think the aesthetic might not be up your alley, but knowing how much you liked the storytelling in The Last of Us, I think you would probably be surprised how much you would like the story in God of War. And even, you know, in this trailer and in... I think all the trailers that we watch here, you know, that emphasis is clear is we're going hard on story, which, yeah, I definitely respond to. Is it Kratos? Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah. I'm so sorry to all the fans. He scares me. That's another, that's another factor here. Uh, but he's he, like I, humanized in this iteration of God of War. I'm just, I'm looking at a screenshot right Once now. Once he got the, the beard, he'd be a big cuddly giant. He looks, it'd be like cutting a rock. And I don't like, have you ever cuddled a rock? Dwayne? No, no. Like, a, well, he'd be great to cuddle. I'm, I'm talking like a, like a boulder. Anyways, we'll, we'll, re, we'll revisit that at some other time. But God of War Ragnarok, of course, a really big deal for those who know what's going on. I should look into the war because that, that's another thing with, it's kind of the same thing that happened with Assassin's Creed in a sense. And I, I think Nerdbomber, when you talked about Valhalla, you mentioned like you can jump into Assassin's Creed games now and like yeah. you don't really need to know what's going on. I, that's another fear for me with God of War is like, I don't know what's going on here. I'm, I'm so removed from the, from the ecosystem and I could do a technics doing certainly and just like read up on it or like watch a 10 minute YouTube video, but I don't want to cheat my way through it. See, just start with the 2018. You don't need to have played the other ones. I know you've got downtime right now. You can do it. It's true. We'll get to that. Uh, in, in my, what are you up to? I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll look into it. I'll, I'll add it to my expansive pile of Nerd Bomber suggestions. How about that? <laughs> let's, let's talk about Knights of the Old Republic, though, because this is, this is another big announcement. Lucasfilm and Asper combining on this. This is a remake of a game that came out in 2003 that, again, I missed this one. I think, you know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan through and through. I've played so many Star Wars video games. It's, it's, my, it's my place. And this trailer excited me to no end i think the reason i missed the first one is because i think i was scared that it was an rpg whether or not that was true i'm now in a place where i'm much more receptive to at least rpg elements and i think this game may hit on a sweet spot for me and i also think it hit we've talked before on the show about how much of a wealth of content pre-saga there is and that and that's 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 the timeline here and so I think there's a huge amount of potential and I can't wait to see actual gameplay. I'll be uh, interested to see if this will end up being up your alley. Cause if I remember correctly, the original Knights of the Old Republic was a Bioware game. And I know for a fact you do not jive with Bioware RPGs. So it'll be interesting to see if they take a, a very traditional approach where they're just kind of like updating it for 20 something. Bioware 20 -something. is Mass Effect, right? Yes. Yeah, well, then you're right. 
not my so <laughs> i don't RPG know like, maybe they'll thing. take the story and they'll reimagine it with other systems maybe not it'll it'll be interesting to see what they do with it it is interesting that it looks like a sony interactive game so this kind of means that it's another exclusive and one thing i do want to touch on you know this kind of emphasizes this entire showcase the partnership that sony and disney have really formed here they've got the marvel titles in insomniac now they have star wars and i feel like that's a pretty big get like these are massive franchises that will draw a ton of people in yeah for sure you know and this may fall into a, a category like and mass effect is a perfect example of it where I watch the trailers, which are very cinematic in nature, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the perfect game for me. Because that's what, Mass- make no mistake, I know we joke about me playing Mass Effect on this podcast all the time. Even now, when I watch the trailers, I'm like, my God, that is the perfect game for me. And then I go to try it, and it just doesn't happen for me because of, I think, the Bioware RPG elements that you're talking about. And so now you have me desperately terrified that, you know, Knights of the Old Republic is going to have that same syndrome of like, on the surface, it looks like this super cool, super cinematic, very action, but then it's going to be like, okay, do you want, you have to give skill points out. And like, I can give out skill points, make no mistake. But you like, do know, not the, to like diverge too much, but you do know that most of these games come equipped now where it automatically applies skill points for you. So you don't even have to worry about that. But I can't, I can't, I can't. You can't make that. yourself do that. I can't. It, that's too far. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, there's no winning with me is what I'm trying to say. I, I, I can't give up control, but if I have too much control, I get analysis paralysis as they know it in the board game world. And that's not good for anybody. We'll see. But uh, Tactic, let's swing it over to you. Thoughts on Knights of the Old Republic. Is this a day one for you? Is this a see see what happens for you? It's very early yet, of course. So me personally, and I'm going to probably upset people, there are a few games that have really hooked me as far as across the board in the Star Wars universe. I've enjoyed all of the movies, but time and time again, either... Um, the game just feels drawn out and I just kind of lose caring about it or there's not enough story. It's just been, I haven't really found one that hits the sweet spot for me. So this is a, and granted, I know this is a remake, but this is a, maybe a wait and see for me. Right. That's, you know, and again, you're giving me more perspective, but my recent Star Wars game experience uh, outside of a recent return to the remaster of Star Wars Racer, which is one of the greatest racing games ever made. Don't at me. Actually, maybe at me. At OWLegal86 on Twitter. But besides that, Jedi Fallen Order and Star Wars Squadrons, both of which I do intend to revisit at some point, but neither of which I finished because they did not... They don't me. resonate. I, and I, and I they, don't know what they're missing. I think... I'll tell you what's missing. And this is this may be a controversial take, but... Look, I've I've already kind of committed to upsetting fans this episode, so I might as well just go all the way with it. LucasArts died. That's what happened. Do you remember the Star Wars games of yore? Like when we were kids and how good they were? I mentioned Star Wars Racer. That's just one example. There were so many good Star Wars games and then something happened. I don't want to name names, but EA definitely happened at one point and that was bad. Like I, th- I think there was a golden age of Star Wars games, especially when movies were, the prequel movies were still coming out. There was a string of games for like GameCube, like the Rogue Squadron games. Those games were incredible. And, you know, 
Star Wars Squadron should be very similar to Rogue Squadron, and se- and yet somehow it's just not. It's almost like they've over-engineered it a little bit. They made it they really used hard. To be, <laughs> they, made it ha- they made it hard. They made it... Those games used to be arcadey, and they used to be just, hey, here's a scene from the movie. Go do it. It does not need to be more than that, you know? And, like, that was that is one thing that, like, I think these games, you know, I think Battlefront promised to be, and I'm talking about the whenever you whatever year that came out they're not the original battlefront but the the battlefront 2014 or whatever yeah that game did not have a campaign but it looked really good it looked really authentic and i think the gameplay was really sharp but they committed solely to multiplayer if they had done what the rogue squadron games had done and said okay you are han solo and you are on hoth and you have to get off hoth or like you are luke skywalker and you have to you know wrangle some some atats that could have been an amazing game and like and then you know battlefront 2 which i did finish the campaign for that was again a campaign that was like we're going to tell a new story and i respect doing that i think one of my problems is that when i show up to play a star wars game nine times out of ten i want to just have fun in the universe that i know and maybe i'm alone in that but the rogue squadron games were some of my favorite games for that reason and they sprinkled in some unique missions but there were also missions where the mission was just attack the death star it felt simpler than what we have now and you know knights of the old republic i'm kind of dunking on a game now that i i think i am excited to to maybe play and try out and it was a hugely successful game back in the day but i think you're touching on something else technically i don't want to ignore which is that star wars games have lost their way and I For me, there's only been one that agree. really resonated, and that was Force Unleashed. But that's completely not canon, so it doesn't tie into that, the universe I, at all. So I think I the, never even the tried thing it, that, but yeah. What you guys are kind of touching on is, you know, making you care about the story in these games. And that is something that Knights of the Old Republic did really well back in the day was because, you know, you, you had a story. You know, you had your character. You had things to do. You cared about the world. It felt living around right. you. It didn't just feel like mechanically sound. You cared about and were invested in what was happening in the game. And I think that's something that, based on the storytelling nature of this entire presentation, and again, how much they harped on it, I think we can look forward to them bringing back two nights of the old republic and it's not like jedi fallen order i never played it i should it's in my docket i have a backlog so long but like i heard that one you know the story was better in that and made you care a little bit more but i think that's just what a lot of the games recently have been missing even squadrons squadrons felt technically very very good very difficult because it was more of a simulator in my opinion than like a a fun arcadey experience but like the story was just kind of meh so it was tacked on exactly so i think shifting focus back to something that makes you care about the world will be very important as we move forward in the next phase of star wars games in my opinion i think you know going back to like the arcadiness and you're totally right that squadrons is a flight simulator which is it's something for sure and it's well executed but it's not it's not what i want what i want again is is the rogue squadron games or even like shadow of the empire which i'm really dating myself now but like these were games that were so firmly rooted in old trilogy content and like jedi fallen order you know i just i got the sense immediately i was like this is gonna be a and i'm sure the story is good i immediately got the sense of like this is gonna be a story that is shoehorned in to the saga and has no real consequence it's a jedi who's been hiding forever 
where was he all this time? And, and they may answer this question as the game goes on. I didn't get very far, but I was immediately identifying problems with the narrative and with the premise that I think drowned out the positives in the gameplay of, of which there were quite a few. So I don't know. I, I, I want to get back into that LucasArts golden age with it, but I'm not there yet. And you know, Knights of the Old Republic may bring me there because you don't have to care about having ties to the, to the saga when you predate it entirely and that's kind of the thesis of what you're doing right so i think there's a lot of promise here but yeah you know at at online warriors one at ow leo 86 at ow tactic at ow nerd bomber what's your take on star wars games lately that's a very broad kind of question to ask but i do think tactic touched on something here you know as far as it, it, it seems like not no, none of us have really enjoyed star wars games of late and is that something that should even be diagnosed? And if it is, basically they pick the, the wrong the one to remaster, in my opinion. You could, you may be right about that. You know, I, I Battlefront Two, the old one, is beloved by so many people. It does make sense to do a remaster, but it, in some way that I might not even be able to fully articulate, it wasn't done correctly. Knights of the Old Republic might be right, or again, it might be wrong. We will know soon enough, I think. But for now. We're going to move on. Um, we are going to, we're going to move away from the PlayStation showcase. There were a lot of other things mentioned here. Project Eve, uh, Wonderland, we got another look at Deathloop, which comes out, actually it comes out yesterday as you're listening to this, September 14th, which is Tuesday before this airs. Uh, Uncharted, I, I mentioned getting a remaster. We got more Rainbow Six Extraction. We got another trailer for that. Alan I do want to touch on remastered. real quick. Yeah, Alan Wake, b- before moving on to, to Matrix, which we will do. Alan Wake, I tried a demo for this way back when it was first out on like the Xbox 360 or whatever. And I just remember not liking it and looking at this trailer and understanding what the game is. I don't understand why I didn't like it. It looks like the most me game in the world. What happened is kind of the question that I'm asking myself. Maybe I'll find out. But it looks like kind of survival store, survival horror, very story driven you know, beautiful looking, of course. I don't See, know what I, missed me. I don't agree with that. I don't agree that this looked beautiful looking. I think for a remaster for this current gen that we're on, the PS5, Xbox Series X generation, something about the graphics in this game, and Alan Wake is a great game for its story and everything. You should play it. The graphics were a little lackluster here. Not gonna lie. For a remaster, I guess I just expected a little bit more, especially given the graphical capabilities of the machines that we have now. And right. it just, it still kind of looked like we were stuck back in that Xbox 360 era. I'll fine tooth comb it. I think I'm graphically easy to please. Uh, and also not having any PS, like an extended amount of PS5 experience as you have. Like, I think you, you were pretty impressed with, with Mass Effect Legendary Edition, were you not? Uh, to or, a point. Yeah, it okay, definitely, it looked a lot better. Okay. I mean, that was still, and especially like when we're talking about the earlier games, like it looked way better than it did on the 360, but it's still like, you could tell it wasn't a next gen sort of title. Do you know what I mean? Right. And I feel like because Alan Wake hasn't, I mean, I know Remedy has been doing a ton. I mean, they put out Control and I think they're still, yeah, and Quantum Break, but like Control, I think is still getting support at I don't remember when the last DLC came out, but it was fairly recently and they had the deluxe edition come out. So like, obviously they're not pumping a ton of resources into Alan Wake, but I think if you want to reintroduce people to such a beloved IP, because I mean, there is a cult following around this game. I just feel like you polished up a little bit more. Maybe that's just me. I, I, that's another signpost too, is that I liked control 
quite a bit. So if Alan Wake even carries a number of elements that, you know, are similar, I, I will be into it. But we'll, we'll see um, with that one as well. I, I, I want to give that brief mention instead of pulling past it. But again, a, a lot more here. Grand Theft Auto 5 updates. Grand Turismo 7 release date revealed as March 22nd. A lot more. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, we just we just don't have time uh, to get into more of it. If only because we have to talk about the Matrix Four, which is it called Resurrected Resurrection? I can't remember now. I should have Resurrection. I should have Resurrection. Thank you. Now I, I want to preface this conversation by saying I have only ever seen the first Matrix movie. <laughs> that was by design uh, on my part. I watched I've watched the first one a couple times. I like it quite a bit it's kind of a canonical action movie spoiler alert for anyone who has not seen the first one where this series started to lose me and base and ultimately lost me i guess is when he flies at the end i was like that's a good stopping point for me it's getting too ridiculous even even my like 15 year old brain was like nope that's that's where i get off so i haven't seen the second and third one i don't know what ultimately happens to neo have you have you guys seen all of them yeah, I've I've seen all three of them. It's it's been quite some time, so don't give me a quiz. I won't. Well, I don't. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody else beyond the first one, which I don't feel bad about spoiling the first one because it came out like twenty years ago. But I have been told by others what happens at the end of the third one. But watching this trailer, it's just kind of like, like I'm very torn with this. I think it looks cool. I think it looks like it's going to be very well executed and it's going to be very well done. However. If you want to do a remake, just do a, do remake. a remake. That is that is that is my like overarching review of this trailer. At various points, they clearly just want to do a remake, but for some reason no. that we are not privy to, they are not allowed. Is the the overall overall read I got. But maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong because I don't know enough about the Matrix. Yeah, so the way the third one ended was spoiler if you don't want to know. It kind of alluded <laughs> okay, that that yeah. Neo died, and and the war kind of ended, so to speak. Well, I was, I was. Let's get let's get more. If you're going to spoil it, let's get more detailed. I was told that his eyes got removed. That was like, I was told that's what happened. And maybe out, maybe some, the friend who told me this was put putting me on. But he didn't just die. His eyes got taken out. Maybe then he died. I don't remember. But anyways, go on. So the war is over, presumably, because he died, right? Presumably. And left you in a place of, well, I didn't want him to, you know, just kind of get overtaken by machines and, and that's it. I want, I, want, I want something more. And, and so they, they kind of left it at a place where it could either be over or they could kind of spin it to this. And I personally like the fact that they're spinning to this because it's, it's not really clear if the war ended or not. And by going into resurrection, I think it's an opportunity to give closure. And, and I really hope they actually end it end it on this no okay you hope this is the last one yeah no no big cliffhangers because i i don't want to see like if they have the same time delay between movies i don't want to see like 90 year old keanu you know doing backflips off buildings i was gonna say if they're exhuming the matrix after 10 plus years ain't no way this is the last one that is my yeah we're gonna get like another trilogy here no yeah I, the, I, I don't rough, know. I'm not next. Because like, it feels like you're just going back to the beginning and doing it all over again, but they're just a little bit older and it's modern day. And well, I, it's, it's, like, it's mm. yeah. What's, it's, what's interesting it's, to me 
is the characters like Morpheus obviously isn't in this. I was just they gonna. I was just gonna mention him, but yeah, they have on. a different character, and I'm wondering if that's that's sort of intentional, right? Because is it that he's not back in the Matrix, but he's he's not dead? They've just kind of trapped him in this new simulation based on what they perceived his memories to be. And I, and like I said, I, I wonder if that's a sort of a calculated choice on some of the recast. Could um, they not get Lawrence Fishburne? That is my guess. They couldn't get him. Um, well, I know they can't do like this Mr. Smith. They can't pick that actor again because he was deleted, so to speak. And so theoretically, they have to pick a new quote unquote Smith. Because instead, they just picked a Morpheus. They're like, just pick a guy who looks the same as Lawrence Fishburne used to look. They do kind of have like the same chiseled jawline, if that makes sense. Morpheus might be in this trilogy, but I'm just just speculating if if this is a sort of a calculated similarity. Like a head sort of deal. Yeah. Is he Morpheus 2.0 and it was literally just a, a firmware update or something? And he just looks at like there, there's with the matrix, you can play so many ridiculous games. Nothing is as it seems. That's the entire point kind of. So what one thing, one other thing I want to bring up, uh, and this is a personal preference, I guess. But when I think of the matrix, I think of what I'm going to refer to as clean cut cool, which is Keanu Reeves with the short Are you hair talking about and the, the, John and the sunglasses and, and the long the long jacket and like just real cool but real clean cut no beard when i see long hair or long hair this when i see this is john wick got put into the matrix is what this is i legitimately get confused like if i was a viewer who was kind of like less had his nose to the ground in terms of like things movies i would legitimately you could you could be flipping around on tv one day and get to this and it would take you a couple of minutes to figure out whether it was john wick or the matrix and like I think they need to distance themselves a little bit from John Wick in that way. Otherwise, you're. I know they're not doing the same thing. I know that they're vastly different, but I don't know, Keanu. Like, I don't know if it was his choice, but like, someone's got to put in a little bit of effort to like make him not look like John Wick in the Matrix. Like, it looks like a mashup, and I don't think that does anyone any good. I I think this looks cool, but like, I don't. I would need to watch the second and the third one before watching this one, I think, in order to not be super confused. I don't know if that's going to happen. And again, for that reason, I think they should have just done a remake. I think that would have been cool. Maybe better. But I don't know. I don't want to be Captain Buzzkill. So someone, someone refute me. I feel like they're riding off of, and this is going to sound super crazy, because like The Matrix is good in its own right, but Keanu Reeves kind of had like a second coming in the last few years. Like everybody freaking loves Keanu Reeves. I mean, everybody always did, but like he somehow like reemerged in the last five or so years and became a central figurehead in culture again. And so I feel like they're riding that money train all the way home. It's, and you know what? It's a good money train to be on. I, I just like I think it would be good if they I can't decide watching this trailer are they trying to distance themselves from the last one or are they trying to re- retain close ties to it I think they should pick one and it's they're picking neither right now and it's just like it's a very strange thing I think that's like, speculative I, I, I think all of what we've seen is intentional like I said I think it's trying to fool him that everything's okay, you know, put him back at the matrix, so to speak. Um, he's a powerful force. He obviously has 
advantages to kind of keeping him contained. So he doesn't. So did he die? I'm still lost on that. Not sure. Apparently not. Hanger, jury, jury is kind of like either way. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I, we'll find out December twenty second, twenty twenty one. This is free on HBO Max, which I will say drastically raises the chances of me watching it. Very smart move by Warner Brothers. <laughs> I mean, I like I. It was a move they made a long time ago. At this point, they're kind of tied into it, whether they want to have it that way or not. But it, it you know, and also seems like I don't know what it's rated, but like this might be a good feel good family Christmas movie. We'll see. December twenty second, twenty twenty one. Be on the lookout for that. We're going to move into what are you up to? Nerd Bomber, ladies first this week. What have you been up to? All right. So I tweeted last week. I finally finished Hades. Put it to bed. 100% like finished the main story. Rolled credits. Tucked it in. Sang it a lullaby. Yeah. I'll probably revisit it at some point. But for now, I knew that Deathloop was on the horizon. It's pre-ordered. It's shipped. And... I didn't want to really jump into anything super time consuming, but I had heard really good things about Splitgate, which is a free to play, well, it's in like perpetual open beta shooter. And the general gist of it is it's basically Halo. It's like an arena shooter. You pick up different weapons throughout the map, but you have portal guns, much like Portal. And there's various platforms spread out throughout the map. So you and your enemies, everybody has the ability to put up portals wherever. And your portal gun reaches super far across the map. So when you first spawn, theoretically, you could, you know, put up a portal on a wall. There's certain walls that are designated portal spots. You could throw up a portal on the wall and then look all the way across the map and put it behind the enemy's spawn point and literally just shoot them through the portal or jump through the portal whatever you want to do. And it's a really, you know, I was a little like, I don't think I'll be able to balance this many things at the same time, like playing what is essentially Halo, like down to a T almost like the shooting gunplay is 100% Halo. The only difference is there's really no grenades that hurt anybody because you have to use the bumpers to map portals. So I was like, I don't know if I can balance, you know, figuring out where people will pop out from in portals, where I'll put portals. Like, I think this might just be too much, but I am having a really good time with it. The gunplay itself is super tight. It feels super familiar, really takes me back to the Halo days. And, you know, the player base isn't huge, but I've never found an issue jumping into a game. They're all short, like eight minute games or less. There's... A bunch of different modes like there's your standard team deathmatch there's a shotgun and sniper only mode there's a bunch of different modes that you can play all of like the different team game types and it's just a lot of fun and i didn't expect to have this much fun with it i knew it got good reviews but like i think i've sunk in a decent amount of time now and i'm surprisingly decent at it and i don't know if it's just because my brain works better than i expected it to but I'm typically, when I play something like Halo or Call of Duty, I'm not bad, but I'm not good. Like, I'm never at the top of the score scoreboard at the end. But this time, I'm killing it. So, having a lot of fun with it. It's free. So, if you want to check it out, highly recommend just hopping in, playing a little bit. I mean, there's stuff you can spend money on if you want to support the devs. There's, like, all the cosmetic stuff. But for the most part, it's just something, like, if, if you were excited for Halo and it's not out yet, you can... Get some Halo, but with Portal action right now with Splitgate. There's something, you know, guys, I'm not a violent person. And I don't think Nerd Bomber is a violent person either. 
there's something about shooting games sometimes there like there's is. just something there's some kind of like because i i mentioned before and uh, one of the components of my update is i played and finished the campaign in like a few days of call of duty world war ii and yeah you know what you're gonna get but it's great it's just like it's it's well executed and if you're in the mood for it there's just something to the point and shoot thing that fps games do that i I do think i you know i love story driven games i know you do too again i think we're very similar gamers in many respects but there's in terms of like getting the endorphins firing call of duty halo splitgate as you i I totally get it it's just something there's like nothing better than like and this sounds so violent but it's like it's not i guess like in real life i would never no yeah do this obviously i I totally get very it's just like endorphins when you get like a triple kill running down a hallway with a shotgun and you just like mow through three people and you get that little pop-up that's like triple kill and you just feel great about yourself yeah you know? i mean you know Yikes. it's i, I when it's well, why it's, almost, it's like almost like a puzzle you know it's like in my opinion a lot of multiplayer first person shooters a lot of it is twitch reaction but especially in a game like Splitgate, a lot of it it's almost like a chess match you have to understand the boards that you're working with and you have to yeah. try to like outsmart your opponent and you know, know where the blind it, corners are and exactly. yeah it's all kinds of stuff i i, so, I totally agree I yeah I, like, and like, my favorite uh halo mode ever was called tower of power which is on this map called ascension and halo 2 where everyone has a shotgun and then there's one turret that's a machine gun in the middle we played it at land parties where like half the people sucked and half the people didn't and it didn't matter whether you sucked or not right it was just you if you could figure certain things out if you could time things correctly if hell if you just got lucky it was so much fun and yeah shooters just sometimes they be like that i don't i I wish i could describe it better and i'm on a more scientific level that didn't make us sound like psychopaths but it just (laughs) i don't know like there's just something about it well i'll i'll take the baton you know i I just mentioned world world war ii which really was i haven't played any multiplayer i don't have ps plus right now i just wanted it for the campaign i was a big fan of it i'm at a time in my life where i have to admit like, like the gameplay was really sharp i had a lot of fun playing it the story was okay, but I could feel myself being manipulated. If that makes if that makes any sense, there was a definite. Well, we don't need to get into the weeds, but like there was a subplot that I felt like. First of all, I predicted it, and second of all, I was like, "This is not needed, and it's emotionally manipulative." But the gameplay and the graphics both were industry standard levels of just like really good it was great to get back to the world war ii theater which i had been missing with call of duty i'm 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 not saying i'm gonna run out and buy vanguard but i'm definitely not done with that franchise if only because there are many others that i have not played at a similar price point to what world war ii is now which is i think i got it for 15 dollars. so i don't know what my next one's gonna be kind of a free agent right now i was considering shadow of mordor but i haven't pulled the trigger on that i have a few more days left of freedom before i start my new job so something will likely happen but i don't know exactly what it's going to be i may bounce back to the switch not really sure it's just it's just you know it's whatever catches my eye i'm a i'm an open book at this point as far as television goes rounding the last turn in clickbait which has managed to surprise me as crime shows go i liked to i pride myself on my ability to be ahead of crime shows i was not ahead of this show i thought i was and that's the beauty of it it made me think I was ahead of it and I wasn't. So I'd recommend that. It's very short. It's like eight episodes. 
also working through in a totally totally different vein a little show called the circle is back <laughs> which did you guys watch any of the circle have you done that one? Oh yeah i know mm-hmm. yeah did you watch Shall season we? three yet because it's it's going no i haven't right watched now. season three they did they said they introduced like different elements right where you could take over other people's profiles if you got voted out it's not a spoiler because it like it's just explaining how one of the new mechanisms works but basically at, at a certain point from what i've seen so far someone gets voted out and then they get to choose another player who voted them out and they basically say okay they clone that player's profile and so then there's two versions of that same person talking and you don't know if you're in the game which one of them is the real one and they have to try and figure out which one is the real one and it's delightfully devious and just great producer producerial work by the people who make the circle keeping it trying to keep it fresh we haven't finished the season yet but we're going to keep watching it i'm sure we'll finish it you you know how we do with reality tv over in this household it's just it's who we are so i'll provide an update on that but for now i will swing it over to my guy tectic tectic how's life life is good i got a joke for you guys Uh oh what is a skeleton's favorite instrument the trombone (laughs) i'm wondering why i said that that is because what I've been up to is I have started designing a Halloween decoration and it is going to be a cool skeleton that gives out candy to all the kids that stop by. I'm very excited about this. It's going to be fully automated and it's going to be a good time. And it's going to be COVID safe. So that's kind of neat. That is neat. I've received some some development footage. This is an in-depth project. It has given Technic an opportunity to not just flex his technical muscles, but also his voice acting, which I think yeah, you look forward to any opportunity to do that and you do it quite well. So I went with stuff. a shysty Long Island salesman. That was the inspiration behind the skeleton's voice. And you do it very well. Yeah, it comes through for sure. Good on you. Halloween's coming up. We should all be mindful of that. Costume selections forthcoming from your team of hosts here. My fiance and I have not yet determined what our couple's costume is going to be. There are a few ideas in the hopper, but none of them have been cemented yet. Stay tuned, I guess, if that's the sort of thing you're listening to this podcast for. I would be surprised. But hey, anything's possible. Guys, let's talk about pigs. What better way to end another fantastic episode of the Online Warriors podcast than with a quiz about pigs, a pig quiz. Uh, I have five questions in front of me all about pigs. And uh, whoever answers the most of them correct, not including a tiebreaker, which is a bonus sixth question gets uh the win this week and things are getting contentious if you've been keeping track nerd bomber at nine and eight tactic at seven and nine i'm at 14 and two the undisputed front runner for the non-existent trophy in the quiz tracking this year but uh it's getting tight there at second place so let's let's see what we have here shall we let's start as one would history's largest pig this was a pig named big bill it's not, I'm not making that up. That's actually what his name was. Poland China breed who weighed in at how heavy in pounds. I'm going to give you an additional hint. The hog stood five feet to his shoulder. What? About the same as an average height 12-year-old girl. This is all off the internet. I'm not just like saying this. This is directly off the internet. Uh, so that's a hint for you. How this much is did in pounds. Big, this is in pounds. How much did Big Bill weigh? That's big. That is a big pig. No, it's not. Height-wise, five, it's not. F- five feet is a non-trivial height. To his shoulder. Five feet to his shoulder. That's a big pig. 
that's almost as tall as an adult human. Um, Don't even act like that's not a big pig. That's dude. a big pig. I'm going to go with 525 pounds. Tactic, over to you. So I've actually worked on a ranch and seen some big pigs before. But you haven't seen a five foot pig. And I actually know for a fact that that's under. So I'm going to go 575 pounds. Guys, this pig was five feet to his shoulder and nine feet long. Nine feet long? 2,552 pounds. What on earth? This was a car's worth of pig. So yeah, that's that's cool. This was recently in the news. This August, this happened, by the way, for question two. An Illinois pig named Baby Jane set a Guinness World Record, ironically, with the, given the name, for oldest pig in captivity. How old? In years. Must not be ridiculous. How old in years? 22. I think Tactic pigs very quick saying 22. can live longer than that. I'm going to say it was a 30-year-old pig. You should have plus one them. 23 years, 77 days. Average lifespan, I, well, this was very recent, but average lifespan, I believe, typically tops out at 20 years. So this isn't even that far over, but... Okay, Tactic knows his pigs. That is, like, that's what has become clear thus far. But Tactic, hey, try this on for size. How many different species of pig are there? Well, actually, Nerd Bomber I don't first, know this just one. Start, start thinking about it, I guess. I remember I got bit in the butt with the species of pepper question. I, I thought you were like... going to say, I remember I got bit in the butt by a pig. <laughs> which I mean, I would remember that if it happened too, but no. Right. Um, talking about our pepper quiz from a while back, and I definitely underestimated. I'm going to say there's probably like a hundred different species of pig out there. Tactic. Is it all species that ever existed or currently? I think it's all time, but I, I'm not positive about that. I wouldn't let that sway your answer too much. I feel like it's it's not that much, but there's like boars, there's teacup, there's... I'm going to go 20. And Nerd Bomber, you said, what was it? 100. Okay, you both busted. 16. Uh, it no is way. not as many as you would think. Uh, pigs are members of the Swedish family, which I assume is where swine comes from, the term swine. Uh, wild boars are included in that. Warthogs, pygmy hogs, domestic pigs, among others that are not listed. Uh, it's less than you would think. Oh, I guess you said species, not breed. That's correct. I tricked mm. you. Uh, okay, so Nerd Bomber, you have to run the table here to force a tiebreaker, just keeping you informed of, of the way things are stacking up. How many domestic pigs are there currently worldwide? Is this another species question or is this like no, every how single many, pig that's one, in like a home? One is species. A tick? The domestic pig no, they're not species. ticks, they're pigs. No, but like a tick mark. <laughs> I know. I was, one, is that what this question funny. is? It's I was one being species. funny in the face of adversity. It's one species. Domestic pig is, I guess, a species because it was mentioned in the last question. This is just how many domestic pigs are. And domestic pigs, I think, to be clear, I don't think it means they live in houses because that would be like 12. How many We're pigs talking are like what are, that are used for meat and all that jazz. Whatever they're used for, how many of this particular species, which happens to be domestic pigs? I'm going to say a cool million. It's got to be more than that. A million and one. 752 million domestic pig yeah. worldwide 406 of which can be found in china i didn't know china apparently goes goes hard on the pig on the pig stuff which i did not know but yeah there's there's a lot of pigs that's the takeaway here nerd bomber you're still alive going into the final question this is very exciting you do however go first in this question so you're at a bit of a disadvantage how many pork and pork related products 
are exported from the U.S. annually in how, how much, I guess, pork and pork-related product in metric tons. That's pork and pork-related products. All right. So we know piggies can be like a ton. We've learned that now. We also know that there's was, like... That was the biggest pig. Just to... I want to just make sure you're not assuming every pig is that heavy. Yeah. But go, go, go off. Assume a pig is 500 pounds. Why don't we do that? Let's just pull that out of a hat. And let's say like, I don't know, a hundred million pigs. Oh, that's a, that's a lot. All right. I'm going to say 115 million metric tons of pigs stuff. Okay. And over to Tectic. So a metric ton is not that far off from a regular ton in pounds. So I did a similar calculation. I said 300,000 and each weighs 200 pounds. And then I divided that by two grand to convert to tons. And I got 30 million. I think the fact, so you both busted. So Tectic wins. Um, 2.2 million. So let me give you a a couple things to think about. That's 26% of overall U.S. production. However, I would have to imagine there is quite a bit of a pig that weighs a lot of pounds that is not actually used. So I would think That's that fair. would factor in. What was the number? 2.2 million. So Tectic, you were much closer for what it's worth, but you were still quite a bit over. If I, I multiply don't have... my number by 26%, it would have been 7.8 million, which I just assumed 100% export, which is kind of a rough assumption, but I had no idea what I was going with. I don't have the long division for you on how that number was determined, but the moral of the story is the tactic surge continues. Now, Nerd Bomber, this is an ongoing story here, officially. You drop to nine and nine. Tactic is at eight and nine, and he hosts next week. Functionally, you are tied. That is, that's the way I'm choosing to look at this. Nerd Bomber, do you have anything to say to your fans out there who are counting on you to, I don't know, bring this home in some way? Look, it's been a rough few weeks, but, you know, we started the season strong. And I know I have faith in Team Nerd Bomber. We can end the season strong. All it takes is one wild card win and we can take it all the way to the championship. By design, that's not how the quiz cycle works. <laughs> but I appreciate the, uh, the, the, the gravitas that you're, that you're bringing to this. Tactic, I have nothing to say to you. Just keep on keeping on, man. You're doing great. Uh, it's been, dare I say, inspiring for the fans and, and for me a little bit. Uh, thank you for listening on that sobering note. We again want to thank thank James from Massive Monster for, for sitting down with us for a while and chatting with us about Cult of the Lamb, uh, which should be coming early next year. We mentioned our Twitter handles earlier in the episode. Feel free to hit us up there and talk to us about anything we talked about in the show. You can also go to Apple Podcasts and Hit us with a review, positive or negative, however you want to come at us, I guess. And another thing that you can do is go tell... Your local high school football coach. Wow. You were ready. Was it? Is it because of pigskin? Is that why you thought of that? It was that. And then I made like a very football-inspired speech to Team Nerd Bomber out there. So football I should season. have included a football question, both because it is currently football season as of a few days ago and because footballs traditionally were made out of pigskin. I don't think they are anymore. I think that's over, but it used to be. Anyways, go tell your high school football coach. Maybe, maybe give him or her an inspiring speech about it. And uh, we'll talk to you next week.